0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: You only have three or four hours, five hours sleep a night. Is that right?
2: I can go really hard, and if I feel that I need a little bit of time... I'll just put everything down. I called those a mini-retirement last week on the an interview and I got absolutely
1: hammered for it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's yeah, go I've inside. seen that. <laughs> you seen that? What, what are
2: you thinking? It's a mini-retirement,
1: <laughs> isn't mini it? Honestly, if you switch off for an afternoon, <laughs> it's a mini-retirement.
2: I was getting top-heavy, going in the gym, 97K going out wrestling with stoke defenders. <laughs> and so on set. I loved it because I learned in England that I just got to go and smash people. <laughs> you give Kevin De Bruyne a plan, and he's the best player in the world, but you give Eden Hazard Chaos, nobody's better than him. You're taking bullets for everyone and fire on everything, and then you just become a pain in the ass. That battle you had with Liverpool for three or four years. Yeah, it was unbelievable.
1: Do you think that was the team that Pep found most difficult to beat as well? For sure.
2: You've ignored every bit of advice (laughs) you've been
1: given as a manager. I'm in Burnley to see their manager, Vincent Company. A legend on the pitch for Manchester City and at international level with Belgium, he's transitioned brilliantly from elite football player into manager and has returned Burnley to the Premier League at the first time of asking. Vincent, welcome to the overlap. We're at Burnley's training ground and we're in the middle of summer but you've got them back quite early. Yeah, get as much time as we can with the players on the pitch. Yeah. Anyway, I want to take you back to the very beginning, uh, Vincent. I was really fascinated to read about your mum and the fact that she was a union worker. You, you, you called her socialist, borderline communist. Yeah. <laughs> how was that in your upbringing, and how does it inform who you are now and what you, do, what you do now? No, she was a
2: firecracker. She was opinionated. She was strong. She, you know, she had a voice for women. She had a voice for. Obviously, she was blonde with blue hair, hair and. and uh, blonde with bl- <laughs> blonde with blue eyes, and um, no, but she, you know, and she, she she had children who were black, so that was really difficult in, in in especially a lot of the lot of the areas where we went into, and um, but the biggest thing that I had for my mom is you know she was working for the government agency for employment and she had all the statistics at hand. Of course, that's what they had, and the first thing she said, she said, look, based on the color of your skin. Um, and the same qualifications, it will be twice as difficult for you to get the same job as anyone you're studying with at school now. And I was thinking, why? Even if I do the same and the same work, he said, yeah, this is statistics that's proven that it's twice as hard. She never said that this is a defeat, you know, it's going to make you stronger, it's going to make you better. And, And we kept that. I think you're meeting me now, but if you meet my sister and my brother, we're was similar in that sense. Yeah. Was she always unionized
1: and felt that way or was it because of the inequality that she'd experienced and what she'd seen?
2: It's a good question. She came from a little village in the middle of nowhere in Belgium and yeah. she was a school in the 60s and I think she was borderline hippie in those days. But she was a clever woman, she was a smart woman and she was working for herself and, and we had both parents working as well. So yeah. we had a we had a very well balanced family home despite that we lived in an area where it wasn't easy
1: and your father is an amazing story he's the first ever black mayor
2: in Belgium yeah. tell us about that are you going to go into politics by the way? no I'm not going into politics <laughs> <laughs> not at all I like to say too much what I think and, and I don't think you can do that in politics <laughs> um, no look my dad was, was first of all he came over as a political refugee he was part of the protests against the regime of Mobutu so you know where you throw a rock and you get shot at type of thing and um and he was put in a camp like a like a punishment camp yeah. for students that were against the, the, the regime. And and he found a way to flee to Belgium. Was a cab driver, did his studies and then came my mother, came the children and, and you know that's a little bit of his story. Then he was a teacher for a long time and and, and worked for DHL as well and right. then and then at the very end he was an inventor as well. Okay. Of <laughs> what? Uh well Wind turbines that rotate in a right, different okay. way and create oxygen for lakes yeah. and stuff that, you know, when, they, yeah. when they're stuck in the summer and it starts polluting. And then from there, he went into politics and, and became the first black mayor in Belgium.
1: Is that where do you think? I mean, obviously, you're renowned and regarded by all as being one of the great leaders. And even in sort of the last five, six years, people say quite often they don't make players like that anymore, they don't make, lead, make, make leaders like that. You're often referenced as the last leader of traditional type does that come from your upbringing in your sort of parents and the speaking out and the leading people
2: there's obviously more leaders and new leaders coming of course yeah. always but, but you feel
1: like the last of sort of that generation where you were sort of holding a team together it felt like that at city sometimes I don't you.
2: know I think as well even in my leadership I got better with age with time would i say I was a great captain when I was a captain at the beginning no would i say I was a better captain at the end I was a yes but but it's just it's more the process of because power is something toxic, right? Yeah. Y- you can have that feeling. Especially in the down period when I was a b- get, becoming a big player and very successful, in the down periods I've realized because I've had then the injuries after that, the bad yeah. seasons after that, and I realized that you know power is very fragile and, and it turns and when it turns, it's more violent than anything else. So uh, I kind of learned to become much, much more humble as well. Even being a captain, just try and put the team before yourself. I think that's already a fantastic captain. Yeah. So difficult to do in football. Yeah. And I started being more calm as well, letting others come with the ideas rather than imposing everything on. And, and, and then people start asking you and then that's the best dynamic. People going to you and say, what do you want us to do? What do you think we should do? And, and, and time helped a lot with this. But, you know, you could say you're born a leader, which is you're born with a personality to yeah. say what you think, but that doesn't make you... A, a good leader from the start,
1: did that come from your parents though, and that sort of political background that they have, or do you think it 's just something that came at city just naturally happened
2: no I, f- I think it's something in the in the family you know we, we were always told to, to, you know to, to say what we thought and, and, and to speak up for, for our minds and, and and to say it in a res- respectful manner and, 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 and you know, I think it just happens naturally where you want to help, yeah. help and you want to help and you want to help, and in the end you become a bigger and bigger voice. Um, but the leadership thing is something that's very difficult I've, I've i've read books o- uh, about it i've i've sat in workshops where people want to discuss leadership and 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 the only thing i can say is like you can't you can't force it you can't fake it it just mm. it just you need to grow into it sometimes
1: have you got an example at city when you were captain in those maybe early days where you felt a little bit out of your comfort zone as a captain or as a leader or a moment where you feel you came of age, a moment where you thought, right, I feel like I belong as the captain now. Because when you first put the armband on, you're looking for some credibility from your teammates. You you wonder sometimes whether your teammates want you to be captain. There might be others in the dressing room that want to be captain as well, maybe.
2: Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing is when you become a captain it's the perception, but in reality it means nothing. You know, you have to be a leader without having the armband. That's that's yeah. leadership. But in the beginning you start thinking it means more than 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 yeah. that. You know, you 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 start thinking of yourself as a symbol and all this kind of stuff and it's definitely not the right way to go about it. But I would I would think the captain might you gotta sort everything out so a player comes to me, it could be anyone. And as a little bit of a moan of the fact that, you know, why we're we training at ten o'clock instead of you know half past ten and I'm going to the manager, say, so, you know the players think we gotta train at ten o'clock. <laughs> And you're taking bullets for everyone and fire on everything <laughs> and then you just become a pain in the ass. And, um, and with time you realize that sometimes just waiting yeah. will give you the right answer. And then when you've decided that you are going to speak up about something, you'll yeah. have more value. It means something. Yeah, it means something. And, and the thing is though, always speak up if you thought about it and you think it's the right thing to do. Yeah. But you've got to give yourself the time to think about it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Who was the most challenging manager that you worked under as a captain when you were at City? Obviously, you worked under three.
2: The challenge, and it was a very good man, was, was with Pellegrini, but he had this idea that the captain needs to always run at the front and he needs to always be available, always play. Always... So obviously, I had a lot of injury problems right. and I needed to be managed at times. Sometimes I had to get back. But in the gym, I was training like a lunatic, but yeah. no one would see that. Yeah. Um, and, and that really, for my body... It was just not something I was able to do, and and I felt like, well, just because in his head this is how you have to be a captain, that's, that's already set me back a little bit.
1: So, you didn't adapt to your sort of physical circumstances at that time?
2: No, but I get it. I get it. So where he's from, a bit South American and stuff, you're there all the time, you go, and whether you've got a broken leg and you keep <laughs> going. And, and this was my nature as well, but it was the reason why I wasn't playing as much. Yeah. It's because I did all that when I was younger. Yeah. I had all the scars and all the yeah. things of battle, and, and, and it just catches up with you at times. And I was just, you know, I was not able to, to, to be that guy at yeah. least. But it doesn't mean that I, I, I didn't do my, my role, of course, for the team. You came as a
1: midfielder to City. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm smiling as well because well, actually, I, I remember I was it. a midfielder as well, <laughs> <laughs> so I remember it. But I forgot it, and then obviously I was reading up in the last few days before I came to interview. you And um, Matthew bought you as a midfielder, and you played 40 odd games that first season as a midfield player. I don't even remember you as a midfield player now.
2: Yeah. Do, you, do you think about being a midfield player? No, but do you know? Do you know what my thing was? It's like I I always had a big frustration. It was as a defender you're always the guy at the very end who's picking up the ball next to the keeper out of your net and you're it back. That's the only time they see people see you. And Welcome I, to the club. Exactly, and I had so much more, especially when I was younger, I was actually a ball playing defender. Yeah. First of the generation type yeah. of thing, or of, of from that era at least. And, and, but it, you know, then in midfield, you, it's never your fault. It's, it's true, it's, it's never true, your yeah, fault yeah. in midfield. As a young player, I was like, yeah. But then I started loving defending, with Mancini to be honest. Yeah. And so
1: Was he my, the one that converted you and said that you're a centre back?
2: Yeah, because he wanted me as a centre back. We played Anderlecht against Inter Milan in the championship when I was a kid. Okay. And I played against Adriano and yeah, yeah. Oberfemi Martins at that time and they were kind of the two strikers in Europe that were unbelievable. Yeah. And I played really well at seventeen years old and
1: He remembered that.
2: Yeah, and he tried to buy me at the time and then so he landed at Man City. It was like you are a centre back. But then I really loved defending under Mancini. Yeah because it was structure. So yeah. I was never on my own. You know, I wasn't defending two strikers, one going to me and I'm passing the ball and then having to, yeah, yeah. you know, I had the athleticism, especially when I was younger and I yeah. loved defending one V one at just two V ones too much. Yeah. And, uh, and, but with Mancini, you were never underloaded. No. You know, you always had guys. And then, cause I was a good talker. Uh, I was good at defending crosses. I was, I was aggressive on any frontal balls, but then as well, I was fast enough to, to yeah. reco- So. But having people around me made me so much stronger and then I felt like for the first time I could actually compete against the very best in the world. Yeah. Because as a defender, if you're on your own, yeah. you feel that a lot of players are much better than you are. Yeah. But when you have a good team around yeah. you,
1: good shape. Yeah.
0: all of
2: a sudden you feel like you could play against the best. And, and my strength was communicating, peop- pulling people together and big challenges. And, and that came out even more, you know?
1: Did you have doubts about him in that first year? Never. Never had doubts, you thought he would always come?
2: Because he was right. I wanted him to be more aggressive, so I started booting people in training. Did he like that or not? (laughs) No, he didn't.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Just looking at your career at City under those four managers, Which one do you think you sort of learnt the most from, in terms of, obviously, Matthew's brought you to the club, then you have Mancini, Pellegrini, and then obviously you have Pep. you would obviously have learnt things from them all, but where was the sort of period where you felt that did the most sort of good for my career? No,
2: Pep, for sure.
1: Pep, for sure, even at the end?
2: Yeah, because I was given almost like a curriculum, you know, I was given a...
1: What do you mean a curriculum?
2: Just a way to explain football, to talk about the game, to explain positions, to explain tempo of the ball, timing of support, uh, timing of runs, and and understanding... In
1: every position or just your position?
2: In every position and and understanding what is the effect of every decision you make on the pitch, every position you take on the pitch. And and like I said, it, it doesn't mean that I'm able to do what he does. It just means that I was able to just bring to progress, to get, become a better player. To, to My biggest regret is that, you talk about regrets, my biggest regret is that I didn't have Pep when I was 18, 19, 20 years old because the player that I was in that time, you know, I, I had some I had decent potential.
1: You, know? you, th- you think he would have moved you into midfield and back into defence and sort of like you're doing with John Stones now maybe back then?
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely right back, left back, I could have done at that time uh, all of it but obviously as you get older, you get a bit bigger, you get a bit yeah. stiffer, Injuries take a toll, and then and then a lot of my games I was actually, I, th- I think as well, I could have been the best player with him when I was younger, but as well I could have had a fantastic career with a manager like, for example, Mourinho, because yeah. I, I was good in structured defences, yeah. I was good at doing my bit when the ball's around me and as yeah. well making sure people are, are never getting out of yeah. position. So I was in the two extremes, really.
1: Take me back to that curriculum statement in terms of sort of what does a Pep Guardiola training session look like for a centre-back? What, was it, what sort of did he do? What's that curriculum mean? He just continues to keep repeating? No,
2: it's, it's, you know, you will have heard all these things when you were a kid yourself as well. When you have the ball, make the pitch. Big. big. And when you don't have the ball, you make it. Yeah. And then the addition to that is, is why... And how you know and 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 so how is for example if your goalkeeper gets on the ball and you say now you have the ball again you make it big you can either walk into position jog into position or sprint into position but you sprint into position so you want to make it big as quick as you can yeah and if a player is under pressure you give support to your teammate as soon as you can because then you can find a free man and he has to then progress the ball and and these type of things where it's almost like becoming like a chess match
1: was that every day that you would do those things
2: yeah, yeah. But I I don't think I'm saying anything no. new. It's probably more confirmation and, and, and how it works. But I think it's also how my mind processes things. Yeah. To me that's very, very valuable. The same way I felt that if I had good information I was able to on the pitch really really translate it into something for a lot of people around me.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, that that was that was music to my ears because, you know, obviously I understood the plan really quickly and I, I didn't even need to be 100% fit to play well. Yeah. Because I could, I could do what I needed to do because I had the picture in my head before. And, and um, I say this a lot, but, you know, they, they, they asked me the question uh, at the time when Kevin De Bruyne and Eden Hazard were at their primes and they said, who's the better player, Eden Hazard, Kevin De Bruyne, and I was like, they're two very different players. So you give Kevin De Bruyne a plan, yeah. which he's getting from Pep, and he can have the picture in his mind before he gets the ball, and he's the best player in the world. Nobody can do what he does, because he sees the picture before. He doesn't have, actually have to open his eyes. It's in his head.
1: The patterns of what's yeah. going to happen.
2: And then anything simple, because he does it so well, he's better than anybody else. Yeah. Um, but you give Eden Hazard chaos, no organisation, no structure, yeah. and nobody's better than him. Other than maybe your Messi's and stuff like yeah. this. But th- that's the level, right? Yeah. Because they, they weave their way, they find, they boom, they ride the challenge, they yeah. turn one way, pressure there, turn the other way. And next thing you know, he comes yeah. out of something with the ball. Yeah. And then his next pass frees up someone because he's already attracted that many bodies around him. And that distinction of the game is... is, is Maybe the best way to explain why, for me, that, that was such an important change.
1: When you play out from the back and you split your centre-backs to those sore positions that you do with Pep, the solutions that you have in front of you, are they all different patterns or different movements? Or is there an element of freedom of, say, where Rodley would go or where, when you played, obviously, it would be Yaya or De Jong? Would you be, would you be given movements? or?
2: No, the, the, the positions are extremely structured. Structured, detailed, fixed. Yeah. Of course, you've got some great players. I remember with David Silva, we would come in sometimes in, on a Monday and it's like, oh, see what David did there? We've got to do that next time because he's <laughs> that high a level that he has his own interpretation and he will actually give you a solution that you didn't think of before. So you do go with your players. Yeah. But in terms of like, all these things with build-up and stuff, it's, I think a, a lot is being talked about it because of the dramatic, if you can see the goal. Yeah. But as long as the net result is that you score more, yeah. it's always worth doing. And, and, and also the biggest thing is like when you look around, it, it's a mistake to think that build-up is just positions. A lot of people think it's, it's positions. So you go, you open the pitch and you're in position, centre-backs are there. And then it looks silly when you look the ball, lose the ball, but it's, it's about tempo of the ball. It's about spaces that you're trying to create ultimately further yeah. up the pitch to go and score. To create clear chances, we have always a higher value than if you lose the ball here. Within a second and a half, you can recover six bodies behind the ball, you know. And any good defensive team yeah. with six bodies, it's still difficult to go and score. Yeah. And then before three seconds later, you've got the eleven, the eleven back. Uh, whereas once you get through over there, it's impossible to add people to come back. Yeah. you're through on goal and you go and score. And so the net result is is more important and. And, and, and the principles more than the positions.
1: Did you find it challenging, all the things that you were being asked to do when Pep was there at the beginning? Did you feel Or did you feel like inspired by it?
2: Inspired? But I was lucky. Well, lucky. <laughs> I had a bad luck. I, I pulled my quad in the semi-final of the Champions League in Madrid. Okay. After 10 minutes. Yeah, And um, that was the last period of Pellegrini, and that was the moment Pep came in. Yeah. So the first four months with Pep, I was... <laughs> I was on the sidelines so, yeah so i made sure that every single rehab session i had was never in conflict with the time so they said to you oh yeah when the team goes out you go in the gym no chance
1: so you watch training
2: yeah i said when the team's out i'm out <laughs> and i'll do whatever you want me to do i'll do it after i'll do it in the evening i'll do it yeah. in the night no matter what but i'm out and then when i saw the sessions from the team i would position myself in those sessions on my own and i would See the physio, and I was like, right, this cone goes there, that cone goes there, and I would set my own sessions up on my own for like three or four months. I would be in every meeting, every game, like I was taking everything in. Yeah. And so the 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 moment where I came in,
1: you were used to it. Yeah, felt
2: like. I couldn't I couldn't wait to execute it, but I remember I scared him a bit because we didn't have the best start necessarily. No, we no. had a very good start, then a bit of a dip. You know how it goes. Yeah, yeah. You start the season summer months are beautiful yeah, yeah. and then comes the winter yeah. and, and we had a bit of a dip of form and, and, and I came in at that moment in time and I felt like I wanted, I wanted it to be more aggressive. Yeah. So I started booting people in training. I started just <laughs> to prove like, I felt like, look, I can play, I can do all that. Did he like that or not? <laughs> no, he didn't. <laughs> so that cost me a few months on the touchline for longer. <laughs> Also, he, he've actually, he, was, he was subbing that first year? I think it was just at the beginning. I think if you look at his teams now yeah. and what he's been doing since, they, there's no way that you can out-muscle City. No chance. Yeah,
1: yeah. The, this team's powerful now. I mean. They're
2: powerful, they've got everything. Yeah. But I think it was his first six months in the Premier League and, 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 and to be fair, he did the hardest part out of anyone's job. It was to actually go into a country where nobody believed it could yeah. be done the way he wanted to do it and to then look back now at what he's done and achieved. It's unbelievable, but at that moment in time, I just came in and I was like, right, I've studied everything he wants us to do. Let's yeah. just spice it up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Did you have doubts about him in that first year? Never. when When obviously you didn't you didn't win the title in that Never. first year? Never. Never had Never. doubts? You thought he would always come?
2: Because he was right. He was right, so I had to
0: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
2: Three or four months where I was just observing, watching. So yeah. by the time I go in, I, I couldn't wait to just be a part of it as well and actually try and show that I could do it. But I never had doubts because I, I, the moments when it worked, you could see that... It was different. The other teams yeah. weren't ready for it. No, and it was just a matter of time. And and I knew as well that he he would probably get another transfer window, another summer to yeah. strengthen.
1: He was clinical in that first year or so in the transfer yeah, window, yeah. wasn't he?
2: Yeah, which, which put the pressure even higher for me to come back stronger because I was like, it's, it's happening again. I've, I've had three or four cycles at Man City where, you know, you get a £60 million defender brought into your position you're like, you here we go <laughs> again. <laughs> and you thought you'd done well.
1: Did you think he was actually challenging you in that period?
2: But, you know, I want to add one thing. The reason why I believed in what he said as well is what is unknown is I did all my academy years at Handlecht yeah. from the age of six to the age of 20 when I left the club, and Anderlecht took all of their ideas from the Cruyff philosophy. Yeah. So we played three diamond three um, from the youth. We yeah. watched tape recorders from Cruyff going to games. We, this was like us on the bus, eight, nine, 10 years old. We're watching tape recorders from Cruyff yeah. going to a game. And I said that to Cruyff's, um to, to Johan Cruyff's wife, uh, when I met her, to, to, to understand how far that the that
1: principles the philosophy went
2: how far he went like yeah. they didn't even so when I was 17 actually because as soon as I went into first team football all of it disappeared yeah. and I never saw it back until Pep came in when I was 30 yeah. so it just went full circle but what he was teaching and that's why it was funny because I learned in England that I just got to go and smash people <laughs> what good at that and I loved it <laughs> but I loved it I loved it I could, I could have played in a championship and have fun I, I loved it I, I just you go smash people and this and I was getting top heavy, going in the gym, 97k going out wrestling with stoke defenders, on set. I loved it. But then he came in, I dropped 4 or 5k to get my way down, get back yeah. leaner, and it was everything I knew from before, but obviously as he saw me the first time, he saw the images of me smashing people, yeah. so I don't think he... He, he, he liked he, it. I don't, no, I don't think he knew that I could do it.
1: <laughs> so you questioned whether you had the technical yeah. ability?
2: He said to me once as well, he said, "Vinny, I came in and I thought, and then I can see the tempo of your passes and you break the lines and, and you know, uh, you can whip the ball. And, and I was like, <laughs> yeah, but well, what do you think I'd be doing when I was a kid? I just, they told me to give it up. When I got in the first team, they said, defenders should just defend. defend yeah. And defenders should never take risks, clear the ball. Yeah. And, and so I never had to do it for 13 years. And yeah. I thought that this is how you are a good defender. Yeah game is finished It's just a high five to each other and they walk off. I hated that.
1: You only have three or four hours, five hours sleep a night. Is that right? Hi everyone, I hope you're enjoying this episode. This is just a quick thank you to Skybet, our partners, for making this show happen. It's something I've wanted to do for a long, long time. Please subscribe, there's loads more episodes coming up and I hope you're enjoying it. Going back to that battle you had with Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool for three or four years. Yeah,
2: it was unbelievable. I
1: mean, it was the standards one year. Where you were going like this and you were both mm-hmm. winning towards the end. Do you think that was the team that you found most difficult to play? you think it was yeah. the team that Pep found most difficult yeah, to beat as well. for
2: sure. For sure. The biggest thing they had, the closest that I've seen in terms of what they were, was their relentlessness. And uh, that made them... Nearly just as great as as, as as the city team in that time, but but the, just the difference is we we probably just just edged it most of the time.
1: When did you think? Because you were getting nearer to Manchester United, you were still just not quite there. When was the moment that you
2: thought we've got them? We went to Old Trafford. We didn't play well. I think we lost one nil or two nil, but it was a dull game. Yeah, we were like my first experience of going to Old Trafford. You got. I think it was Tevez, Ronaldo, Giggs, yeah. Wayne Rooney, yeah. and Evra, and Evra's just going, <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, and it's literally, game is finished, it's just a high five to each other, and they walk off. <laughs> it was an easy game. Yeah. I hated that, yeah. because I, I, like then, I, then, I, then my head was going, um, but two years later to see them just get like a dull game and they're not really getting anything and, and we yeah. were not really scared and we were just like, I knew one more transfer window and we got them. You got them? Yeah, I knew, I knew, I knew it was coming, <laughs> yeah.
1: Did you ever think Manchester United would get so bad or, or that you just thought City, I mean, City on and off the pitch, they're, things, a, they're a machine, aren't they?
2: Yeah, but things happen at the same, everything happened in the, in the right moment. Because Sir Alex Ferguson, and and, and for us it was a big one to win it when Sir Alex was still a a manager. But to be quite frank, it was absolutely normal that United would... You can't have a manager for that long, that successful, and there's no transition period. So United used to be the machine, and and, and we just got the years at the right time to actually become that level with now a manager who's obviously one of the best of of his generation.
1: In terms of off the pitch at City, what was your view of how they do things? How have you brought that in here to Burnley? How have you brought the sort of the quality, of the recruitment through the club, the academy, now, everything, everything that's happened in yeah, the, the last seven the, or eight years?
2: The, I, I tried to separate things. You know. So you
1: stay to the football side.
2: No, this is Burnley, and this was Man City. Yeah. You know, um, I tried to separate things completely. I, I'll, I'll talk to you about my, my experiences as a player yeah. because I can still. I've yeah. been a player for eleven years, but. The, the thing that I experienced when I was at Man City is that it was a very calm club. Yeah. Despite all the craziness around it, yeah. I knew that I wasn't going to get politically maneuvered out of something. Yeah. Uh, if someone was better than me, he was going to play instead of me. Yeah. So there, it was not a friendship thing, but it was not, people wanted you to do well as well. Yeah. And, and it was a calm club where you just had to be the best. If you're not the best, someone else replaces you. Yeah. And that lived there a lot to the extent of what they are today. Um, and when I'm here, I draw on my experiences, but I'm, I'm, I'm who I need to be for what I think this place needs.
1: Players that I played with have struggled to separate their expectation as a player with their expectation, obviously, as a manager. And obviously, you're at Burnley now. You've played in a world-class team at City under yeah. Pep Guardiola. You've done great here at Burnley, but they're a different level of player than the one. How have you coped with the transition in terms of from a player that was there... To a, to a club now that's doing really well. How's I, that been? I know, but
2: look, Jack, some struggle, don't they? Jack Grealish was a championship player not long ago. Yeah. You know, uh, it's, it's the journey you're on, you know? And, and I like the journey. Nobody can tell a player he's not good enough if he's got the talent and the desire, yeah. you know? So there are players with us now who will go to the top level one day. Yeah. And, and I like the journey and I like working with them and making them better. And, and then the other side of it is I never seen myself as a top player. Believe it or not, I never did. I probably would have, I saw myself as a top player when I was 17 to 20. Yeah. Mobile, fast. Yeah dribbling for the you you'd be surprised. Honestly. <laughs> I need to get some old videos no, out. You, you, would, you would honestly step overs. going to like I, I remember I was going with wingers and say what trick are we doing before the game. <laughs> you, you, can, you can't believe yeah, it eh? Yeah? So do you know when uh, they Who did is that, this player? Yeah yeah so I would go and I'd have bets that I was going to be the one doing the tricks. So you'd see me in the corner there, yeah. in the other half by the way doing tricks with my centre back captain shouting at me what are you doing? Completely ridiculous. <laughs> But I was a pragmatist. I wanted to win, so yeah. I changed my game completely. Well, it sounds um, like it. Yeah, completely. But what I had is um, when I, when I snapped my Achilles tendon, yeah. I lost my speed. So uh, you had to
1: adapt and change.
2: Yeah, then. yeah. And and I played with pain for like over a year.
1: Yeah.
2: And I, I remember going home and I say, I'm 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 not going to be. So I had in my head the reason why I studied and I did everything afterwards as well is because I felt at 24 I'm going to be done. I couldn't run anymore, and I was like... And then I had a manager who said, brilliant, great game. I thought, why does he say great game? He said, yeah. you won every duel, and I was heading balls, and I was smashing people. <laughs> a player that I would have been disgusted about when I yeah. was younger. <laughs> and he gave me a lot of praise for it, and the team won, and the team did yeah. well, and all of a sudden I fell in poor. I said, you know what, if this is who I am now, I'll embrace yeah. it. So just all of this to say I was... Never seen myself as a great player since that moment because yeah. I felt like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm a team player now. Yeah. And as a team player, you have a different mentality. Yeah. I think my, my thing is like, I know what hard work can give you.
1: Yeah,
2: I know hard work because anything I've done, I don't feel it's been just a miracle. It's been after that period of down period. Yeah. It's just been a lot of hard work yeah. and, and that's the recipe for my management
1: as well. But I, we're going to, I want to talk to you about management obviously when we go inside now, but a lot of people were shocked when you actually took the job at Burnley. Your know, Vincent Company, this legend of a Premier <laughs> League player, surely he wants a job in the Premier League. Yeah. What, why, why Burnley?
2: First of all, you, you're never too big for anything in life. And then I will always have the best information at my disposal to make a decision for myself, so perception doesn't really matter. Tell you what, when I signed for Man City, my dad was like, what are you doing? Because Hamburg was like a Champions League club at the yeah. time. So like, what are you doing? You've got 60,000 people there every game. It was an unbelievable stadium. It was a big city, big club.
1: And, and you're going to go... to a small club in Manchester. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> and I had a fallen out with the chairman at, at, at Hamburg. I said, no, it's done. I'm going principal. <laughs> yeah. uh, and off I go to Man City, and I felt the Premier League was better for me. And, uh, do
1: you make instinctive decisions, or do you think you would not analyse things before?
2: No, I, I analyse a you lot. Analyse. So you analysed Burnley before you came? Yeah, here. yeah. I analyse a lot, 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 and when I can't convince myself that it's not a good decision, then I make the decision, and I have no regrets.
1: I saw Craig Bellamy before, very briefly, and he said that you only have three or four hours, five hours sleep a night, mm-hmm. and you are here till like you'll be here till nine, ten o'clock tonight. Is that right? I
2: work, I work hard, but
1: I don't know. But that, I know managers are obsessed, but yeah. that just...
2: You know. But I've I got, I got a very good um, mechanism to pause if I need to. What's that mechanism? So now I can go three or four or five days, but if you go hard, then you have no regrets. You, 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 no one can judge you for having an afternoon off, right? Yeah. So I can go really hard, and if I feel that I'm, I need a little bit of time, I'll just put everything down and I have no bad feelings about just spending time doing whatever I want to do. I called those a mini-retirement last week on an interview and I got absolutely hammered <laughs> for it. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah going I've seen sad. that.
1: Have you seen <laughs> what that? What are you thinking? It's a mini-retirement, isn't it? Honestly, if you switch off for an afternoon, it's a mini-retirement.
2: When you've won stuff, especially the first time you won stuff, you never know who's coming back how. So you've ignored every
1: bit of advice <laughs> you've been given as a manager? what
2: sort of manager would you describe yourself as? Um, Hard-working, keep it simple. I, I don't want to start style and this and that because then we, it's like getting debates about religion, right? <laughs> Hard-working. You obviously believe in a philosophy of possession football and keeping the ball. Yeah, but I don't have possession because my thing is like, let's go and have possession. It's like I have possession because I think we could do something when we have the ball. Yeah you know and but we were the highest pressing team in the league we conceded the least amount of shots we conceded the least amount of goals yeah conceded the least amount of corners you know all these things are and 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 then we had a lot of possession and and then we had the most amount of goals so but that was our season and, and but it started from an idea to try and and just be dangerous score goals from every phase and I measure my words because I know the Premier League will just humble you, but it's with Burney. this is what we did in, in, in our division last year, and, yeah. and, um, and it's something I believe in as well. Do you gain some encouragement from the three teams that came up last year to the
1: Premier League, all staying in the Premier League? Do you look, uh, at, do you look at that and the patterns of how they played or what they did?
2: Haven't, I haven't looked into it one bit. No, I, I know how they play. I know how. You know, not only have I played in the Premier League, but I've also watched a lot of Premier League games, especially when we knew we were um, getting promoted. We're coming up now with a team that needs to maintain what made us good. And and that's my only focus. And I know what the threats are in the Premier League. I know about the athleticism of players. I know about the speed in transitions. I know about the pressing of the teams. And I understand that I've played in that league as well. But my, my my only concern is how to find, again, in a smart way, tools for us to, um, to have a bit of fun in that league as well. You had an unbelievable season last season. What are you most proud of? The, the group dynamics. I think we got smashed, absolutely smashed, in every pre-season game we played. But the way I kind of wanted to take them on that journey is a journey of progression. This is where we are today. And if I tell you today that every body can get better if you work hard would you agree with my statement or not and everybody says they agree so okay that consistency now i'm going to push you on doing that because we might lose a lot of games now but if we progress we'll win a lot of games at the end and all i do is hold them to that, those standards and you've had a bad game get on with it because in three days time we we'll get another chance are you hard with them I'm, i try to to be honest with them i always say as well that for me the the, the meeting room, it's a privilege when your name gets mentioned in the, in, in, in the meeting room, in a debrief. Because in a group of 25, there's, there's 15 other hardfield players who haven't played. So it's mm. a privilege. And, and Even if it's a negative message or yeah, a critical message. It's a privilege. And what needs to be said in the meeting, for me, it's everything. Because if it gets said there, it's not just you learning, but it's everybody around you who prevents making the mistake the next time. And as well, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for whatever's happened because we get to make another step so so for me that's a really important and everybody believes in, in that approach players before they sign when they come to us they know that I'm going to always be in their corner they can make mistakes they can miss a goal they can miss a pass but every single time we'll say okay this is this is where you have to be to score more goals this is how you have to Approach the situation to have more chances. Obviously
1: you've won, so that helps instilling confidence and belief. But how do you instill belief and also you just mentioned the accountability players accepting mistakes, owning up to it, talking
2: about the how do you instill that? The perception is I won because I've been in England now, but I was I was in Belgium before obviously managing Anderlecht, which is a club similar probably yeah. to what United was going through. Big, big club. Yeah just not achieving and, uh, and for many, many reasons. It's like put Chelsea and Man United combined and that's what was happening there. Yeah. And you land in the middle of all this and you have to kind of make sense to it for the group to keep going. And, and I've got to be honest, even in those moments, I've never had the feeling that you don't get what you need from the group if you give them a way to progress. And once you get over, the, and you will get over that hurdle, and once you get over it, if you're consistent, they'll never not believe in you anymore.
1: Have you had to be hard on a player in the last few years in management and say, no, they're not for me and move them out? Is there a moment where you've
2: thought, I don't want you to name a player? It's part of managing, yeah. you know, it's not something hard, it's not something easy, it's just, it's just part of the job. Yeah.
1: yeah. You're going to get asked a lot, what's the ambition for Burnley next season? You are, you know, when yeah. you get to this pre-season. What's
2: the answer going to be to that question that you're going to get asked consistently? I, th- I think, realistically, we're not going to get 100 points again next year. <laughs> realistically I hope so, you do because it'll be some season i so, will <laughs> so, become a Burnley fan so, for the season so realistically that means if you agree with the statement then that means that we, we, we will have to review our ambitions a little bit as to what they were in the championship <laughs> but I hate, hate, hate putting a ceiling on something I, I'll proudly say if we're not relegated like this was a great season proudly say but at the start of the season, you won't get me saying that this is the goal. I, I just can't physically express it. Yeah. I, I just can't. It's not in you, is it? You're used to winning, aren't you? Yeah, and, and I don't mind not winning if I'm feeling that I'm getting better. Because it's just a matter of time then. Yeah. You know, you've you, you got people who are relentless just chip away in it and <laughs> you just keep coming <laughs> and eventually how many people have you seen off like this in your career you know? <laughs> well I've been the same at times but you know people people have highs and they get really happy yeah. and they drop the standards yeah. and you tip away yeah. and people get lows and they get really sad and they drop the standards and you carry on and eventually you catch people up yeah. as long as I'm feeling I'm doing that yeah. I don't mind where I end up because I know that the next year will be better, better. That's what excites me.
1: The next question you're going to get asked most is how much money will you spend and how many players do you feel you need to bring in? Do you, obviously, you want to be loyal and consist, have consistency, but you obviously need to obviously as well make sure the team improves. How, how are you going to manage that balance over the season? Because you you mentioned at City when, she, uh, when Khaldun came in and Mansoor, you just wanted to stay on the train and on the bus, but yeah, now the, Burnley got into the Premier no, League, some my, of those players will be thinking the same.
2: No, it's, it's my culture. I, I said it to the players on day one in a championship. I said it to the players when I was in Anderlecht. You are always competing with every player in the world that's affordable to Burnley Football Club. So if our budget is a given number, 10 million for a player, every player that's worth 10 million in the world, you have to be better than that player. And, and the best that's affordable to us. And, and of course, you take into account character, team cohesion, um, services to the club. Definitely, I'm, I really, really respect that. But I don't want anybody to get comfortable. And you know when you've won stuff, you know that especially the first time you won stuff, you never know who's coming back how. Mm-hmm. The first time you've won something. And I want to have an open mind for that. So I'm also willing to just see see who I'm getting back, See how many are ready to make that step into the Premier League? Because it's more, we're not going to go and get someone out there in the market just because he's a little bit better now. If we have a player that we think can still progress, then we'll always go for the potential of that player. But if we have a player that doesn't want to progress, then it's not a a, a hard or a difficult decision. It's just something we kind of agreed upon before they came to the club, so it's fair. What's the best piece of advice you've been given
1: as a manager? God,
2: I've I've been given so much, so much advice. Goes in, <laughs> goes in both ways. In here and out there. Oh God! Is the one that you stuck? can't you can't have small centre backs in the championship. <laughs> <laughs> that was Carragher about Lissandro Martinez. I, 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 I didn't I didn't listen. Yeah, but I had it in the championship as well. Didn't listen to that one. Striker can't drop between the lines. <laughs> didn't, didn't listen to that one. Full backs can't go and play in midfield. Didn't so you've ignored to every bit of advice <laughs> you've been given as a manager. I'm very you know, but... I'm very selective. I think I listen to any advice from anyone. I really do. But you've just gotta have done more thinking about about it than I have. But I listen to everything. Um, okay, I'll go, I'll give you one. And I tested it very early doors. Burn my fingers, and when do what you believe in. Do not even deviate one bit to something you don't believe in. Just play a sense it and and you go home. And if you win, you say, "How clever was I?" But when you lose, yeah. it's a bad week. And they do smell that. They yeah, it's do a smell long, it. it's a long shower and a bad week. <laughs> yeah, because you you.
1: Oof. Vincent, that's absolutely incredible, and you're gonna be the first manager ever promoted from the championship that's gonna get 100 points in the Premier <laughs> <laughs> That's Thank a you. statement.
0: <laughs> On Formative, middle school kids from New York City public schools interview a phenomenal collection of grown-ups. Me, like, I don't know what I want to do. You don't have to have all the answers. feel like a lot of people's favorite topics are like interest in their life that is a really good answer the podcast where the leaders of today are interviewed by leaders of tomorrow listen now at newyorkedge.org slash formative or wherever you get your podcasts